I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Cy Wilmore. We're now into the third series of the podcast and we're changing tack slightly. This series, we'll continue speaking to the freelance writers and photographers who've helped us to create Journey Magazine, but we'll also be talking to travel pioneers, adventurers and industry leaders who are pushing the envelope in the industry today. As such, I'm speaking with Alex Bescoby, documentary filmmaker, author and historian. Thanks for joining us, Alex. How are you doing today? You well? Good, thanks, Sally. Thanks for having me on. Just keeping warm. Yeah, I know. Desperately, <laughs> we were just saying just before we went live, so Alex and I, either we're getting old or we're going soft, but we're kind of snuggled up with a cup of tea at the moment. It's not very cool yeah. if you could see behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trying to try, try to pay the heating bills, like <laughs> exactly. everybody else. You're uh, based in, in West London at the moment, is that right? I am, yes. Fantastic. Hopefully it's not too brutally cold as it is up here in the in the, in the Cotswolds. Tep- Tell us a little bit yourself about yourself, Alex, where you come from, kind of what you studied and, and how you got into the industry. Yeah, well, thanks, for, thanks for having me on. Thank you. I'm in illustrious company. Um, <laughs> I'm from Manchester originally. That's where I was born and raised uh, until I was 19, 20 years old. Uh, and then I went off uh, down to uni down south and studied history and politics. Nice. Um, and that's really, I guess, where my story starts because... I've always been a massive history geek. Oh, yeah. And it was, I was about to study sort of local government history in the UK, uh, which is probably the most tedious thing you could ever choose. It's not, it's not quite as rock and roll as being an adventurer, that's for sure. No. Well, there's, there's moments in life, right? The sliding doors yeah. moments. But sure. I, was, I was sort of fiddling away in, in um, obviously avoiding work at uni. And <laughs> I got this email saying, would you like to go and study Thai and Burmese history? In wow. Thailand and wow. Burma, or now Myanmar. Sure. And uh, I thought, I would love that. 
that's much better than the UK. <laughs> and um, I applied thinking that sort of everybody else in my whole year group would apply. And it turned out, I think the two of us applied and, and one of them dropped out. So I won by default. Result. And um, I got packed off in my, I think the summer of my first year at uni to Thailand and Myanmar Fantastic. to study Thai and, and Myanmar history. I did intensive language courses and it absolutely blew my mind. I mean, Thailand first and then particularly Myanmar second. Hmm. And that for me is where I can really put my finger on where my, I guess my travel bug came from. It was the first time I'd ever experienced total culture shock. Wow. You know, completely different um, geography, weather, religion, language, alphabets, customs, food, this way of living. I was just, you know, kind of that everyone's had it, I suppose, is in this industry, just like a sense of kind of debilitating joy. <laughs> um, and that's where, that's where it came for me. And I ended up studying uh, Burmese history, Good Lord. Uh, which was sort of specializing on Burmese history, which is kind of how I, how I fell into the industry, really. Fantastic. So this is, what, are we going kind of seven years ago, 10 years ago? How long ago? Gosh, no, 2008 when I first went. 14 years so, ago. Uh, well, you, you haven't aged, you mate. You're looking, you're looking older great. than I look. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I, I, uh, no, you're doing very well. So this uh, is, I mean, also more importantly for on the kind of global scale, like <clears throat> 2008, are we talking kind of Myanmar hasn't been on the global scale as a tourism destination for that long? It hadn't long been out of, I, I remember being in Myanmar and it hasn't, it hadn't that long had a KFC or something. And when it got the KFC, it was like, it was, you know, people were queuing up around the corner because this was like I a went to the official opening, uh, actually. Um, <laughs> one of my many, many great adventures in Myanmar. Good luck. I went in 2008, it actually hadn't opened um, when I first went in. It wasn't until sort of 2010. I mean, opening is obviously, you know, it was always open. I mean, sure. you know, it was always open to tourists. It wasn't open in the way that it was later become from like 2010 onwards okay. when there was mm -hmm. this great political opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, tourism had always been had always been possible, but it had been frowned upon very much because Aung San Suu Kyi, you know, the, the democratic leader who's again in prison, um, she'd said, don't go. And that mm -hmm. was that was a long policy for people, particularly in the West. But, you know, for Chinese tourists, Thai tourists, Indian tourists, Malaysian tourists, you know, and, and, and sort of wealthier, uh, probably, you know, just hardier Western tourists, they were, they were going. 2008 was fascinating because it, it was through a double, double tragedy, really. Where they had Cyclone Nargis, which struck. Um, and, you know, I think it was one of those moments when the country every so often has reared its head onto, into the public imagination here in the UK. And that was one of one of it's always for something bad usually and i arrived a few weeks after that it's when the country was still recovering and um it was yeah and it also thailand was falling into pieces with the the red shirts and the yellow shirts sure. there's the pro royalty pro democracy it was it was the most as i said just as an induction into southeast asian history and politics it was mad <laughs> I mean, you really jumped in at the deep end, right? People might be going and doing the backpacker trail around, you know, Koh Phi and Thailand and stuff, or some people might be slightly more adventurous and going to, I don't know, Chiang Mai or Pai, and you've just gone straight into Myanmar in 2008. That kind of culture shock in the true sense of the word, not just this is different, but this is, you know, times of political 
not necessarily unrest, but maybe uncertainty, especially in Thailand. And that must have really kind of tickled the historian bug as well as the travel bug, right? Yeah, precisely. I think I just wanted to understand. Yeah, you know, totally. The first thing, I guess, when you are sort of adrift, uh, you know, you don't, you've not got any pointers, you don't know what's going on. You, for me, at least, I just started reading. I started reading yeah. book after book after book, history book, and just trying to figure out um, why these countries were the way they were, how they interacted with each other. And it was a bit, I mean, it sounds a bit strange to say, but, you know, I'd grown up on British history, sure. European history, maybe. But being thrown into Thai and Burmese history, so 2,000 years of it, it's like being, it's partly, it's like the history of England and France. <laughs> there's these two right. neighbours, the love-hate thing. Definitely. But, you know, it's like you could be on, you know, Klingon. I mean, it's just, it's mm. so out of this world. So it's just sort of a Eurocentric, Brit-centric school kid, which is basically what I was. Yeah, of course. That I just always felt on the back foot. And that for me was just this amazing driver to learn and keep learning. And I got so fascinated, but obviously the thing that made it easier was that there was a strong um, and, you know, not particularly pleasant in many ways, uh, colonial story right. uh, there of Britain's role in creating the mess. Mm. And, you know, it, 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 it's, that for me was fascinating. I remember walking to Yangon the first time thinking, why is there a building here which looks like it could be on the Strand? Yeah, oh, why is this right. road actually called the Strand? <laughs> you know, and, and I just was, I felt so ignorant that I spent the next sort of 10 years trying to address that ignorance. But I ended up moving right. there and studying the history and going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the, the longer I spent there and the more I read and the more people I spoke to and the more research I conducted, the less I realised I understood the place. I mean, it just kept throwing up more Deeper, and more. You and more. go down the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. But the most rewarding period of you know of of my life, you know, just being able to, I think, it coincided with that political opening, where uh, as a filmmaker, as I was sort of training myself to yeah. be, I was pushing on all sorts of open doors, you know, and I, because I was so green and naive. I think I didn't even realise that I shouldn't have been maybe in some places, but I just did anyway, and. I think I feel incredibly lucky that I was there at that time, at that age, where I didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, totally right. And ignorance is bliss to a certain extent, right? We're all filled Precisely. bulletproof when we're 18, 19, however it is, years old. And I think that, that's a wonderful thing. And it's, um, yeah, maybe that, that's the perfect analogy, right? We've gone from, it was it was open before, but and maybe the doors were 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 open if you kind of pushed them. And now today's, you know, in today's society, it's more like you're being beckoned in so there's a slightly different dynamic there when you're there where maybe a little bit more investigation a little bit more digging is required does that sound about right yeah precisely and the ability to ask questions i mean yeah. people in myanmar didn't talk about the past openly sure. they didn't talk about politics openly you know it, it really was a taboo subject because the military was still in control you know the democratic opposition were just sort of being released from prison and being allowed to finally campaign with elections 2010 2015 you know, and it, it just felt like this incredible, irreversible momentum mm -hmm. was going on. And I, I felt privileged to basically be riding this wave where I made, you know, pretty much the first history documentary that was made in Myanmar um, post, you know, God knows when. I mean, I don't think, other, I'd say there probably wasn't one made in Myanmar featuring Myanmar contributors ever. Yeah. 
And I was going around with my, with my mate making a film and we were asking people openly about the past. And, you know, there was a reticence, but then there was kind of a celebration that people could do this. And I made this film called We Were Kings, which was all about the, the royal family of Burma who'd been deposed by, um, by the British, <laughs> but their descendants were still there. And, 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 you know, it was as close as the, the two of the grandchildren of the last king of, of Burma were still alive in their 90s. And they were still had all the royal titles and all this sort of thing. And I, I lived with them, became you know, part of the family and made this story where they were, they were themselves exploring the boundaries of what they could do because for a long time they've been viewed with suspicion sure. by the british then by the military because they were seen as this alternate source of power so all i was doing really was kind of yeah opening doors going through open doors with people but and you know i mean uh, you know travel writing the the, the the real gold is to is to be taken by someone who knows more than you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know so that's what journalism is there. right Precisely. I yeah. wasn't there to sort of stand there and tell people about Myanmar. Again, this kind of ignorance thing. I just constantly felt ignorant. And so my my approach was to just find amazing guides who would take me in deeper and deeper. And they themselves would tell me what it was like. And that I felt with my first couple of films out there in Myanmar, that's all I was doing. I was just giving people in Myanmar a platform to speak. Fantastic. And what a joy it was. That's amazing. As you say, like kind of almost reveling in your ignorance should we say like kind of embracing the fact i feel like a few more people should be embracing the fact that they're ignorant <laughs> nowadays you know it seems like there's a thing where people go i know exactly what i'm talking about and you know things like uh, uh, twitter while it's still around or social media in general yeah. giving people a platform to say things when they don't really know anything and then as you say like the kind of the nuances of, of that part of the world i lived in that part of the world myself for m many many years as well i still have barely scratched the surface of mm. in, in my case malaysia where i live like oh, there's wow. obviously links there because of britain and all the yeah, rest yeah, of it yeah. but at the same time i haven't really got a clue I, that's just, I i helped contribute yeah let's talk about me for a minute i, 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 no, I no. contributed to a guidebook to malaysia so for a while i called myself an expert on malaysia or, you know a malaysia expert which is kind of a thing that we do in this industry but i'm thinking i haven't got a bloody clue really to call myself a Malaysia expert, maybe more than any other, you know, Westerner or white dude or whatever, but mm. also to came to be an expert is kind of ridiculous. And this seems like you've kind of noticed that first first thing and, and enjoyed that experience of learning. Well, I think it was interesting, you know, because like you say, you know, I was out there making films, but I was also I also had another job. I mean, I guess you yeah. talk about the nuts and bolts of the of the industry. I was working in the aid industry. So I was you know, working as a researcher to to DFID, to the World Bank, to the Foreign Office, yes, to to the USA, to all sorts of people. And my, I, I was sort of using my my ability to travel around the country and and my familiarity um, with with the country and people mm -hmm. to, to to do research on behalf of big organisations. But mostly, I was just indulging my own curiosity. Yeah, of course. And I think actually, because of that, I was spared. I think one of the traps that can happen with travel writing, particularly in a place like Myanmar, where everyone piles in and there's loads of people that are trying to make a living telling stories about Myanmar. And, you know, you'll probably relate to this, that unfortunately the outside world has a limited capacity and interest in Myanmar. For sure. And yeah, also, you know, and this is not, this is not pointing the finger at anybody, it's just sort of a fact of life. 
that you know commissioning editors based in in the uk or in belgium or in america or whatever they themselves have a sort of a, a confined lens through which they will say okay i will only find this interesting this angle on on myanmar so go and give me a story about that i think that's completely wrong mm. because essentially it's kind of you know people who outside of the country setting the agenda for what the stories are in the country and i found that so frustrating um because it's you know being told the story that you have to go and write and going away and, and writing a form of it and coming back and delivering it and that way these these kind of western perceptions are just recycled and it's you know you're being told what should be interesting and you're being told what's going up for and i think the freedom that i had making my first couple of films out there was to say i actually earn a living doing something else so oh, i'm going to tell stories that i actually find interesting and i think you will find interesting if you give me a bit of time and not being having to sort of scrabble at the at the door of a you know a very busy commissioner a travel commissioner saying well it's not about whatever i'm i'm being told is interesting so go away it's being allowed to spend 3 years making a story sure. about this particular thing i found really bloody interesting <laughs> and then when i came back with it because i kind of trusted my gut people were like oh wow yeah this is really interesting and it's like yeah but 3 years ago you told me nobody would be interested <laughs> and that i i would say is a hallmark of the stories that i tend to find myself self in it's it's not the best way a to make a living or b you know to 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 do a huge number of projects or stories but the stories i choose i tend to i get really really obsessed with and i have to sort of believe that what at some point people will understand why i was obsessed that's it's absolutely fascinating i mean as you say as a as a freelancer who's got bills to pay it sounds like a disastrous way to earn a living like 3 yeah. <laughs> 3 years with with kind yeah. of pure research obviously research is is where the fascination comes from and and lord knows you probably need three years to even start scratching the surface of such an important and such a a culturally different kind of phenomenon let's say mm. but then you know three years where let's say interest <laughs> in your project is ultimately at zero but you've just got to have mm. that conviction i guess to go at the end of these three years i'm going to have a story that people do want to hear it sounds amazing yeah I think yeah, and I see, and as the nuts and bolts of it is, you know, I I I've been working, I guess, in this space, sort of writing, making films, partially for, I, you know, it's probably started in twenty fourteen. So you know, where are we, where are we at? Eight years, and I say, you know, only in the last two or three has it actually become uh, sustainable. Sure, and you know, and. I think that's, you know, I don't want to get into the, the reality of it, but I think more and more, and it's a, it's a sort of sad reflection on, you know, um, I think on the way the industry is structured, um, that there's these brilliant people out there, you know, who've got this amazing access and stories to tell, but, uh, you know, probably won't because the economics don't allow them to do so. Definitely. And I haven't got a solution. My solution has been to always have several plates spinning, but know that what gets me out of bed in the morning is a great story. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, kind of the stories moving forward. So you've obviously been based in, in Myanmar, for, Myanmar for, for many years. What was the kind of the next project? Where were you based or what was the next movie that kind of came came out of your career? 
Well, I did a couple of things. I said I was sort of always experimenting with almost like different models of how to get these stories out mm-hmm. there. You know, the first one we'd managed to get a big film prize for called Wickers Award, which was, a, you know, a fluke in many <laughs> ways, incredibly lucky. Yeah, um, the second one I crowdfunded, which is a film called Forgotten Allies, which mm-hmm. was, again, a story I just thought had to be told, which was a story about the um, sort of men from, from Myanmar who had volunteered to fight for Britain and the Allies in World War II. And I remember going around sort of magazine editors and newspaper editors, and they were going, eh, you know, this is, yeah, maybe, a, you know, half a story. And I was like, no, this is, this is fascinating. And people in the UK need to know this. And I would have conversations with people back in the UK and they'd say, I had no idea, you know, and, and it's, we feel ashamed that we don't know this. So I eventually, again, with that sort of sense of conviction that this was a story that just had to be told and it was sort of morally obligated that people, you know, knew that this had happened. Yeah. And again, I mean, not to say, it was sort of vindicated because we got it out there and this crowdfunding campaign went, went mental. Awesome. And, you know, we, we, we funded it and then we got it out there and it, you know, it went out and then it made a big splash in the media. And, you know, we were invited to the house of parliament and stuff to tell this story. And again, Amazing. I sort of, it was like, you know, I guess having that faith in, in the story. So I'd, I'd done two, two films like that back to back. And then I ended up doing my first travel show after that, which is interesting working for Canal plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was given the Fabulous. opportunity to make, a dream, a dream gig, which was to, um, essentially, they, they said, look, no one's ever made a travel show in this country that has originated from this country. More and more people were coming through, you know, everyone from Simon Reeve to, um, you know, you name them, they were coming through, yeah, basically, yeah. making a film about how Burma was opening. And I was working with producers and TV companies in the country, and they said, well, let's make one by people who actually live here. And so I teamed up with one of my best mates, a guy called Ong C2, you know, Burmese guy, uh, happened to be a member of the royal family, but you know, that doesn't mean anything anymore. But I said, great, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna go on a, we're gonna go and travel the length of the country and see it through his eyes. Because actually what's really special is that people in Myanmar haven't been able to travel around their own country ever. Yeah. You know, Ong C2 is 40 years old now. Um, you know, he was born in 1982. Uh, that was the doldrums of the military junta. Uh, you know, he's never been, you know, for large parts of his life, he hadn't been able to go out of the region, you know, the sort of internal region without a pass. And, you know, the idea that he could go up to the Kachin state, like the equivalent of our sort of Outer Hebrides, was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for him. So we made this six-part series um, called The Incredible Journey, which this is just that. It was me and one of my best mates traveling from top to bottom, but very specifically told through what he wanted to see. I think that, you know, and it's, again, it's structural, you know, somebody's in London storyboarding a travel show. They're like, okay, they're Googling, they're finding travel articles, like things to see, top 10 things to see in in Myanmar. And they construct a storyboard and they plan a production. They might get one week on the ground to go and run it through. But what they've actually done is turned a, tourist company's itinerary into a documentary yeah that's right and that's nonsense <laughs> you know it's a bit like let me take you on a tour of the uk and it's just you know we're going to go we'll start in london then we'll go to cambridge then we'll go to oxford then we'll Classic. go to york then we'll go to edinburgh like what are you actually make doing that and you know and you're probably going to be when you're there you're probably going to surround by other tourists of course so yeah. so i said to cita i was like where do you want to go 
you know, and, and what is it that interests you about these places? Because the history that we're taught about Myanmar, they're taught a different history. So they're like, well, I want to go and see this because in the 13th century, you know, this king is famous for like finding this fountain and I want to go to where that, you know, and I thought, well, you know, let, let's let's follow that. And obviously I did throw in stuff that I wanted to see. So because, because things, you know, they quite deliberately weren't taught certain parts of history because they grew up in a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. There were things that I knew about, that I'd read about very freely, that Sita didn't know anything about. So, you know, one of my favourite parts was going to uh, down in the uh, um, sort of Pathane, down the on the, the, the archipelago, um, the Miek, uh, uh It's down in you know opposite PP and on the other side yeah, yeah, of that sure. same sure, sure. same you know isthmus. We mm, want to call exactly. it. Yep. And I wanted to find the, the Burmese side of the Thai Burma Railway. You know, this famous story yeah, of the yeah, Brigzo of the River Kwai. And I found all these Japanese fortifications that were in the jungle, you know, and, and we met some um, some uh, Burmese people who'd been laborers on that road when they were kids, you know, oh, building wow. the railway. And so the two of us were sort of bouncing off each other. And I think that for me was so, it was so instructive in the sense that it, it taught me, you know, to resist the urge to write the story before I've gone there, which unfortunately is the kind of stock in trade sometimes of, of the travel industry or the travel writing industry, because you have to, you have to pitch it. You haven't, you can't go there and come back and, you know, you, you, you're pitching it based on something you've heard maybe, and you want to go and explore it. But as soon as you pitch that to your commissioning editor, you're kind of on some railroads. You can't get off. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 100%. I mean, it, it. let's get kind of a bit ethereal for a moment. This almost sounds like travel in its purest sense right you've kind of got no real agenda you know you're going to start at point a and you're going to finish at point b and as you kind of meander your way through this country the two of you as you say you're bouncing off each other for the two different very different uh aspects of history that you two have learned about yourself as a westerner and him as a local mm. and you're seeing both of the things that you find interesting that maybe the other one hadn't even really knew existed or maybe was you know kept quiet in some ways, right? For, for for obvious reasons, and you're learning you're learning their history, and they're also kind of learning their own history from something that that was given to you that wasn't given to him. It sounds like an absolutely incredible story. It was, and, and again, it, it went out in Asia, you know, and it just it was it was. I got to make it, you know. I don't think anyone in the UK has ever seen it, <laughs> and it doesn't really matter because, frankly, I had such a good time with C two and 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 the rest of the film crew uh and some brits and and it was just one of the best 
few months of my yeah. life. And I look back at it as, as particularly now with what's happened to the country and the turn that, it, you know, the very sad and tragic turn that it's taken. I look back on it now as this golden era. You say nobody's ever seen it. Let's fix that. How can people find this, Alex? Is it gonna, <laughs> what's the name of the project? I need to get it released from the claws of the people that, <laughs> yeah. that own it. But it's complicated because of because of the coup and what of happened. Course, and, right. um, but I would love because I'm really proud of it. And I think it's a, part, it's a side of Myanmar that nobody's ever seen. But you're right. I mean, I, I love, you know, whether it's my hat as a travel writer, which, again, I have done. Um, you know, as I guess in its purest form sure. of, uh, you know, pitching a story and going out to a place just to tell that story. Um, I mean, I, you know, one of my most pleasant memories of that, just going a little tangent, was, you know, I wanted to go to Bhutan. Right. And I was living in Myanmar and I, you know, I just thought, I just really want to go, but I can't afford to. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's it deliberately kind of keeps out kind of, Poor a tourist. Of course. Yeah. And so I, I managed to find a story and pitch it to the BBC. And they said yes. And it gave me the excuse <laughs> to go. But also, as you, you know, I'm sure you've experienced like a credibility when I stepped in there of being able to do what I love doing, which is just ask people questions, yeah, whatever comes in, into their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be nosy professionally. <laughs> and, you know, I ended up cycling. I took part in the longest one day mountain bike race in the world and came last. Um, <laughs> still counts, still finished. Was, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, was, it was pretty embarrassing, but um, <laughs> it, was, it was extraordinary. You know? And I said, I'll never forget that. And I think if I'd just gone somewhere as a tourist, you know, just without that, I guess, without that job, without that purpose and mm. meaning, I would not have enjoyed it as much. And I think I'm actually going on my first holiday in five years on Friday. Um, oh, because I I have a, an addiction to turning travel into work. I'm the same. I had a trip for a mate's wedding about about six weeks ago now, something like that. It was going to be a mate's wedding in just kind of rural Portugal, and then we were going to have some time uh, as a holiday, as you say, like because when you travel for some reason, it just becomes work. And this one, I was like, no, I'm not going to do any work. But I got food poisoning instead, so I didn't have a holiday after all. I had like a <laughs> wedding and then four days of food poisoning. <laughs> That's, that's, just, that's, that's the universe telling you exactly to, to right work. that's god like Don't you, you dare should have been time. writing something you should have been focused <laughs> alex it's absolutely fascinating uh, i mean i could talk about this for hours but of course we've only got an hour with you today unfortunately let's move forward and let's talk a little bit about the latest project mm. um which is uh, folks if you've not heard of it this is the last overland which involved a nineteen thousand kilometer overland journey from singapore to london I mean, let's just go straight in with the basic question, Alex. That sounds absolutely mental. What inspired that? <laughs> well, annoy I say annoyingly, it does go back to Burma. Okay. Um, I was in Burma again, look, just, just like rootling around for stories <laughs> that I found interesting. Perfect. And there was this amazing story of a road that was built through northern Myanmar during World War II by the Americans when they were when they were supplying the Chinese, <laughs> you know, who were their allies against yeah. the Japanese. You know, so how, how the world changes. Yeah. Um, and I was fascinated by this road and I wanted to know it still existed. And I was hearing sort of conflicting accounts and I thought, well, I'm just going to go and, and see, you know, even if I have to hack my way through the jungle to see if I can <laughs> find bits of it that are left. And then I was reading about it and I stumbled on this story, which I knew about from, from my upbringing. My, my dad's a huge Land Rover fan. And I just, this story of a book called The First Overland, yeah. which... It had always been knocking around and I'd gone to Cambridge and I'd heard about it there because it, 
it's the story of the Oxford and Cambridge Far Eastern Expedition. These six lads who set out in 1955 to be the first ever to drive from London to Singapore. No one had done it. Yeah. And the only reason they could do it is because of this road that had been bulldozed through the jungle by the Americans. And it was only there for about three or four years in operation. And then it vanished again. And, you know, what they, they, they managed to grab this little window and they, they managed to get all the way across to Singapore. Right. And even better, David Attenborough was the guy that gave him the film role when he was in his 20s. What a, what a story. He was working BBC as this young producer. You know, one of his first projects he worked on was to give the first Overlanders their film Amazing. and to turn it into a TV show, which the footage is still was recycling around on the internet. And so I, I stumbled on the story again of the first Overland, and I thought, you know what? This just is everything. It's got <laughs> Burma, it's got travel, <laughs> It's got Land Rovers. It's got, you know, uh, I also was thinking about going home after quite a long time. Maybe I can, get, I can drive home. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, you know, so anyway, to cut a long story short, um, we, we came up with a concept of something called The Last Overland, which would be repeating that journey in the same car from the 1950s, the, the Oxford Land Rover, and taking one of the original crew, who was then 87, Tim Slesser who had written the book, The First Overland. And he was desperate to do this. And, you know, you find yourself, I'm sure you've had this feeling where you just step into a story and then you can't get out of it. You're in, you're just, you're wrapped up in it, you're gone. And I, it just was a, a series of escalating dares where, you know, <laughs> we sort of asked for funding and we got it. And then we asked for, you know, this and, da, 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 da. and all of a sudden, September, what was it? August 25th, 2019, we were in Singapore, ready with the, um, with the original 1955 Land Rover, which had been discovered on Centralina in, course, in South, the South Atlantic. <laughs> That's an amazing story in itself. Um, you know, this, this badly behaved old Land Rover to drive 19,000 kilometers back to London. And what unfolds next was the greatest four months of my life so far. Yeah. I mean, it was extraordinary. 23 countries, 111 days, uh, two continents, and, you know, a hell of a lot of fun. Sure. And we have turned it into this Channel 4 show, which you can watch now on all four. Or you can binge all four episodes at once. Get stuck and, in, folks. Binge um, away. That's just, just to clarify, yeah, on all four, it's Channel 4 documentary series and book. There you go. There's your plug. Sorry, carry on. Thank you. Yeah, and the book <laughs> Anytime. is out. The book is out. It's actually just, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to blow my own trumpet. It's just been named by Wanderlust, one of the best travel books of the year. Fantastic. And by Waterstones is one of the best travel books of the year. So take their word for it, not mine. <laughs> I'm going to say but, the same uh, about my book. I think that's true for my book as well, or one yes. of the books I've helped on. We can have a little virtual high five. Yeah, high well, five. You know, travel, travel writers need to support each other. <laughs> well done. Five. Well done, guys. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's out. Honestly, I mean, for me, I guess all the stuff I was talking about earlier about it gave me that opportunity for almost agenda free travel. Sure. Because the point was to get from A to B, as you say, but everything in between was the freedom just to see what happened. Amazing. Absolutely you know, and in four phenomenal. months, a hell of a lot happens. Um, you know, we went through some bonkers places, obviously back through Myanmar. We went through Nepal, through China, Tibet and Xinjiang, through the stands, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, you know, Uzbekistan, along the border with Afghanistan, into Turkmenistan, which is bonkers. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, into you know, places like Azerbaijan and Georgia, which I just would never would have thought to go. Georgia, I would say, is probably one of the best places on earth. I would, wow. anyone asked me where I would go back to, I'd go back to Georgia. Um, amazing but yeah the story of the of the last overland really is for me was a i guess a literal vehicle to explore how the world changed in um 65 years between 
you know, the original expedition and now, and to do that side by side with a guy who had God, lived it, it in That's the car. Incredible. Um, obviously, there are all sorts of twists and turns in the story, which nice. you can find right. out. <laughs> driving, driving pun there, folks. This thing's got everything. It's got everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there is a wonderful twist in the story uh, at, the fir- at the start, which I, I don't want to spoil it, but I'd say go in because it doesn't turn out how you expect it to go. Um, which I guess is always a sign of a good story. Yeah, but totally. um, yeah, so we, we filmed my, my 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 team filmed it, and it, you know there was this thing called COVID in the middle, which kind of uh, yeah, things up a little actually. bit. Yeah, yeah, but um, it did give me time to write the book, and I, I don't understand how people write books not during a pandemic. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's the only time I've ever had no distraction. <laughs> um, and you know, if I I hope to write another one, it was incredibly enjoyable because you know I had I had written short form pieces um, for all sorts of publications, and I think you know hand on heart, it's the thing I enjoy the most is crafting a, a really nice sh- short story. Fantastic. And to then sit down and write, you know, ninety thousand words. Oh, it's a different it's a different discipline <laughs> yeah, altogether. Um, but Take you know, deeply yellow. satisfying when finally, yeah. Deeply satisfying. So, yeah, I mean, the last Overland for me was, it was building a lot of what I've been doing earlier. There's a lot of Burma in there. Uh, <laughs> but it was combining history and adventure, which for me were the, the two things that get me out of bed in the morning. Fantastic. One final one final plug there, folks, if you're, if you're interested in learning more, it's The Last Overland by Alex Abescoby. Uh, the Channel 4 documentary is available on all four. And where can they buy the book, Alex? Everywhere. Uh, you, go, you, go, you can get it on Amazon, obviously, but most independent bookstores are selling it. Waterstone selling it. Sainsbury's are selling it. They're not so really well done, Sainsbury's. Bookstore. Well done, Sainsbury's. But, uh, yeah, well, um, no, you can get it all over the place. But and uh, you could leave a review. That would be lovely. That always helps. But um, no, cool. I, I said it, I, I, for me, it was just it was such a labour of love, and I'm I'm really glad that it's it's going down well. So I'm actually off to Australia in January because we're launching it there. Wonderful. And I'm going to America in, in April because I hope it's, it's coming out there. And it's, um, I believe it's coming out in Europe and in Canada and um, all over the shop, really. And hopefully back in Singapore where it all started. Fantastic, mate. Absolutely fascinating. So if there are any Americans or any Australians listening, uh, you know, hold on because Alex is coming your way. What was that early <laughs> in the new year? Uh, I'm, I'm in Australia in January because uh, it's coming out. Um, it's coming out on SBS in Australia. Um, and in, I'm not quite sure where it's coming out in America, but I'm going to America in April, I think, uh, to, to launch it there. So the story is still going. Exciting, <laughs> exciting times. That's incredible, mate. Um, let's start, let's kind of, as we start wending our way towards the end of today's hour, uh, slightly out of left field question, perhaps Alex, but hopefully you're going to have lots of insights on this one. What advice would you give to somebody who's starting out in the industry? Uh, obviously either in the, the hist- historian style or in the more travel should we call you travel documentarian style? What kind of tips and advice would you have for, for new people in the industry? Well, I'd tell people what, what wise and older people told me is don't go into this industry if you expect to make a lot of money. <laughs> sure. Yeah, everybody says that. Yeah. Yeah. And, but listen to them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I don't say that in a jaded way at all. I mean, I love what I do. You know, there's not That's a day true. when I get up in the morning and think I should be doing something else, which That's... I was doing before I did this job interesting uh you know so that doesn't bug me anymore um but i would say story is king story is everything you know you might be 
a really great writer or you might be uh, you know a, I don't know find yourself in an interesting place or you might have the time or the ability to do it but you know in this world that we live in almost everybody's a travel journalist sure and what will mark you out from I guess people just doing it for a jolly for people doing it for a profession is is your commitment and your dedication to becoming an expert on something because you know they, anyone can write clickbait of course um if you want to write travel writing that really makes a difference you've got to know what you're doing better than anybody else and i think the key to that is listening to people where you are this sounds so simple but going in with ignorance and wearing your ignorance heavily yeah yeah and saying i don't know please teach me rather than going in assuming you know what's going on because you don't Fantastic. and the more you dig the more you'll realize that you don't know what's going on and that's fine and i think that's you know but but if you're coming back i guess you know for me i guess the lesson of how i managed to get my projects away is that i think these stories are the most fascinating thing in the bloody world for sure for the time in which i inhabit them and you've you've got to otherwise why else would anybody care fantastic mate absolutely fascinating and and as you say you know a lot of people kind of going around thinking that they even maybe they've done some reading maybe they've done some research maybe they have some ideas of a place that they're going to but i think just assume you know absolutely nothing is a much safer thing to do especially especially in the kind of places that you're going to alex like really like culture shock is obviously a, a phrase that gets used a lot in our world but just so wildly different from from you know the, the lived experience is so wildly different that that never ever forget that yeah i would just qualify what i've said actually just with one thing is that ignorance it, there is a pride in ignorance at the beginning uh but you know it, it's it's no it's no excuse to continue being ignorant after <laughs> a certain amount of time uh, i'd say that you know the real skill is knowing enough that it doesn't inhibit you learning and I guess it's about open-mindedness because sure. the problem, if you go in with no knowledge, obviously you ask bad questions and you accept things as fact that aren't. Absolutely. Very good. So it's, 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 but, but, you know, it took me 10 years working on Myanmar to be able to understand, I guess, when I was being lied to. Interesting. Um, or when I was being spun a story um, because I had enough experience to, to triangulate it with what I, you to be true with a given value of true and that allows you to you know then be a sort of thoughtful interrogator of whatever story you're doing so i think that just qualify it with that it's like going in armed with enough information yeah, absolutely but an open mind so maybe i overdid the ignorance bit there but no, you're quite right I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna... no, not pretending that you know because that's the worst thing yeah <laughs> i'm going to revise what i said as well the zero percent pretending or, or, or claiming that you know zero percent isn't quite right because then you won't even know what kind of paths to go down what avenues to pursue yeah so maybe let's so, choose a random number 17 percent of not ignorance <laughs> say so at least i've got a concept that's healthy. of, of that's asking a healthy the right question <laughs> yeah. somewhere between 17 and 27 percent we're going for guys we've whittled <laughs> it down Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, let's finish. Maybe you can tell everybody uh, how they can find you online, Twitter, Facebook, website, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm on mostly on Instagram 
uh, Twitter. So I'm at Alex underscore Beth, Bescaby uh, on Instagram, at Alex Bescaby on, um, on Twitter. Uh, you can, my website is alexbescaby.com. You can find all my work via Grammar Productions, uh, which is my production company. Uh, all our work is there online um and yeah get in touch let me know what you think um about about the work and i hope it i hope some of what i've said today has been useful if someone's thinking about starting it's been, the best job in the world it's been absolutely fascinating thank you uh, i think that's just about all we have time for you've been listening to alex Pescaby, documentary filmmaker author and historian thank you so much for joining us today alex thank you You've been listening to The Journey Podcast, which is available at journeymag.com. That's J-R-N-Y-M-A-G.com or wherever you usually access your podcasts. I'm Sai Wilmore, and thanks for listening. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free warbyparker.com slash covered even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.